0: Good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and if you would take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter two, we're going to get there in just a minute. We're starting a brand new series called Blank Canvas, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. I do want to just kind of uh, uh, say something about the Jesus painter that's going to be here in two weeks. Um, I actually was at an, at an event in Atlanta, uh, myself and Ryan Coggins, and we saw him live, and it was like just one of those awesome experiential deals. Most of the time, you're going to hear me say, "Hey, man, bring your friends and, and your lost friends and neighbors, and you can do all that that you want to, okay? But just let me give you a kind of a warning. There may be if you bring someone with you that weekend, there may be a, more explaining to do, so you probably want to add on lunch afterwards because uh, it's going to be a really cool time. Uh, we decided to do this as we're going into the Thanksgiving and to the Christmas season. Uh, we're going to have communion, but communion is uh, going to be a little bit different. We're going to let you do communion kind of on your own. Don't be wigged out about it. We'll kind of give you some direction, but it's going to be a cool weekend. Uh, he's going to We're going to have live music and live band throughout the entire time. I don't have a pre-planned message. Uh, we're just going to just kind of just uh, open the box and see what happens. Does that make sense? Uh, and so it's just going to be a great, great, great time. So uh, I I want to really challenge you to be here that weekend. Uh, If you're a Christ follower, I'm telling you, this will kind of just usher in this whole Christmas season in your life. Um, It was a kind of a, one of those services that I was a part of that I was like, I'll never forget that. And God just did some cool things for me, uh, and I know that he's going to do that here that weekend. And so I've been so jazzed and so excited about that weekend service that uh, uh, I'm just kind of well, that's why I'm kind of shamelessly plugging it right now. So I want you to be here. I want you to be a part of it. But I also want you to go, man, I thought that was going to be like a big evangelistic weekend. And, and my friends came and they had so many questions. And so I just want to let you know that. Does that make sense? So if we ever do something like that, I'll, I'll let you know that. But, um, so, and, and some of you are going, hmm, I'm really curious. Good, that's what we want you to be. So today we're launching this series called The Blank Canvas and uh, there's an outline on the back side of your bulletin if you want to follow along as well. And if you don't have your Bible and you're a guest, uh, uh, then it's going to be on the screen. But, but I, I want to just kind of set this whole thing up. I don't know where you are or kind of how you do life. But I kind of have a pretty good idea that most of us in this room from time to time would like a do-over. You know what that is? Like a mulligan in life. Now, I'm a, I'm not, no, I don't know if I'm really considered a golfer. I'm more of a hacker. But I like to play. And I play or hack pretty regularly. And, uh, and there's a thing in golf called a mulligan, which means if you're on the tee box and you're, and you're starting off and you shank it into the woods and you have a compassionate person that's with you and they say, go ahead, you can have a mulligan. You get to do it over without a penalty. For me and for my golf style, mulligans are my best friend. And uh, and so if I'm in the middle of the fairway and I've got an approach shot onto the green, and, and again I drive it over the green because I've got these huge muscles, and uh, and I go over the green on the, and yet you laugh, and I go over the green on the approach shot, and they go, hey, just drop another ball and take a mulligan. I just love the sound of that word mulligan, and so anyhow, um, it's a do-over, and uh, you know when I was first learning how to play, I was. You think I'm bad now? I was really bad. And um, I was playing at a ministers golf outing and uh it was in a different state and the what was called the district superintendent, he was the leader of all the pastors. Uh he was probably about 75 and he was out on the course and he was on the I was on this fairway going this way and the fairways were coming back this way. He was going this way, I was going this way, right? We're probably 400 yards, 500 yards up. Apart, lengthwise, but we're right next to each other. Okay, does that make sense? There's just these little thin layer of trees between my, where I'm driving the ball and where he's hitting the ball. He's in the cart at this time, and he's going down to take his second or third shot. And I'm on the tee box, and so I, I, have what I'm kind of a big guy, and so when I swung the club, especially then I would swing my hips instead of rotating through. That's on another story, but uh, cellulite in motion, right? My whole body weight's going this way. So when I'm setting up the tee and I'm going all the way through, I'm not going through and up. I'm swinging like this, which the ball doesn't go this way where it's supposed to go. It goes this way. You got me? He's coming that way, 75-year-old. I'm 22, and I'm supposed to be going this way, but I'm going this way. Because these hips of mine are going this way. I, not only do I hit the round in front of him, the ball hits and ricochets up into his cart and nails him. At that moment, I was ready for the trumpet of the Lord to sound and time to be no more. And I definitely needed a do-over at that time, because a few minutes later, I got a lecture in a golf book on how, on the games, the rules of the game, and whether I actually need to be on that course or not. We all find ourselves in those situations where it's not a game, but it's life, and we make mistakes, and we do wrong things, and, or things happen in life, or, or we just sin, and 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 we need what we call this do-over. We need a mulligan life. We we need what I'm calling a blank canvas experience. And that's the first uh, fill-in on your notes, is that uh, the blank canvas is it's it's a uh, refers to a new beginning. It refers to a fresh start. So as we're going through this series, we're talking about how God gives you a a fresh start. How He gives you a new beginning. How He he starts with a, a blank canvas in your life and what he does with that. And so this weekend, and next weekend, and then the third weekend, we're having this professional painter come in, which will basically transform a white blank canvas into these beautiful works of art. And, and but, but I want to really talk about that fresh start this weekend. I really want to talk about this new beginning this weekend. And there's a person in Scripture that I think we can all identify with a whole lot more than what we realize. And his name was Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul... Paul was a very interesting guy, and I don't have time to really go into it, but, but, but just to kind of give you a snippet, for those of you that don't know, because he, we well, that's St. Paul, he did the missionary journeys, he, he's Paul of, of Tarsus, and yeah, yeah, right, 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 here's who Paul was, Paul was an overzealous type A control freak, read it. He gets so mad at Barnabas over the second missionary journey over John Mark because he basically says John Mark is not worthy of the gospel because he's too weak and anemic and he's a mama's boy. That's what he calls him. And Barnabas says, I think you're being too harsh. And Paul says, I don't think I'm being too harsh. I think you're weak like him. And they separate. Paul was a, he was, he had, he was a very unique person because he had dual citizenship. He was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. And in that day and time, Roman citizens, they were the upper escalon of society. And they, but Paul had this, I'm a Roman, and I have all these rights as Romans. You think we red-blooded Americans can be prideful? These Romans in that day and time were just full of themselves and thought they were it. And they were the leading civilization known to man at the time. But he was also a Jew, and not just a Jew, he was a leading religious leader of the day. He kept every single speck of the law, everything the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, all the way through. He kept it to the T, and he would condescendingly look down upon anyone who couldn't keep the law. You ever been around someone who they just like, they're almost like they're perfect, and they kind of look down upon you because you can't get your junk together, spiritually speaking, right? And these people live under grace. In Paul's life, there was no grace. It was him. He said, I'm the Jew of the Jews. I I keep it perfect in every way. I'm highly, I mean, this is what he says of himself. I'm it, baby. I am it. Call me butter. I'm on a roll. I am all that. (laughs) And yet for Christ, I've become nothing. That's pretty much how he views it. So Paul has this thing going on. Now, God used Paul greatly, but he had this blank canvas experience where God had to wipe the slate clean. And it's in, uh, you don't have to, Go there right now, but in Acts chapter nine, I just want to read it for you. This is his transforming his road to Damascus experience, as we call it. Meanwhile, Saul, this is before he gets converted to Christianity, was still breathing out murderous threats against who? The Lord's disciples. Real nice guy, isn't he? He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, and so if he found any there who belonged to the way, who were Christians. Whether they were men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. So this guy's going from city to city and basically killing Christians, okay? Uh, Verse number three, as he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And verse five, who are you, Lord? Saul answered. And the rest of the chapter tells of this great blank canvas experience that that the Apostle Paul begins to have. And from that, God uses him in such an awesome way. He was not perfect, but God uses him. And and by the unction of the Holy Spirit, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul, not only did he plant some of the leading churches of the first century, not only did he he mentor some of the leading pastors of the first century. Timothy, who went on to lead the church at Ephesus, whose scholars tell us that church, although it was based on a house sale group, had over 100,000 members. So before you think we have mega churches in America, this is is old hat to the first century. Saul, who under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit, when he was converted to Paul, wrote most of the New Testament that you and I hold in our hands. And today, we're going to read what he writes about this blank canvas experience in Ephesians chapter 2. He he defines it. So that's really where I want to spend some time today. And and as you have it in your Bible, we're we're going to begin to read verses 1 through verse 10. And we're going to walk through this passage today. He says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's not working those who are disobedient. Let's just stop there for a second. He says that all of us were dead in our sins and our transgressions. And why? Because we're following Satan. Now, when we hear a phrase like that, again, sometimes we we just read over this stuff and we call it super spiritual language. But here's what he's saying. He's not saying you're part of the satanic church or you're in a cult or you've got pentagrams hanging around your neck. That's how we would hear it in America. But what he's saying is is that you're only going to go serve one or two people in this world. And you are going to serve somebody. And you're either going to be, as ACDC would say, you're going to be on a highway to hell And you're going to serve the the kingdom of this world, the ruler of this world, which is Satan. Or you're going to serve Jesus Christ. Now that sounds harsh and old line. But again, I didn't write the book. That's what it says. I believe it. I live it, I practice it, I download it into my life. But the reality is, is that's what he's saying. And so before, when you're dead and you're sinning your transgressions, you're not following Christ, you're not following God, you're not following the the, the good fairy out there, you're following Satan. So let's just make no bones about it. Again, Paul went right to the heart of the matter. Now verse 3, all of us, the word all means all of us, who lived among them at one time, We were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and followed his desires and thoughts like the rest. We were nature of objects by of wrath. We were by nature objects of wrath. So what he's saying, because you're away from God and because you're living in this sinful state, you were gratifying these fleshly desires. Now, now let's make no mistake about it. We're all born into this thing called sin. Because what Adam and Eve did, because God gave them free moral choice the same way he does us, we're all born into this thing. So our spiritual genetic disposition is this. We are prone to do everything that's against this book. Do you ever want to know why it's so hard to live this out? Because everything in your flesh, your physical being of who you are, is at diametrically opposed to everything this book says. Because Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, that, that he, he goes on to say, we're in a fight. And we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual warfare that goes on between us, Christ in and us, and, 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 and Satan that's in the world. And when we're in the world, we don't have a conflict or a fight. That's the reason why when people come to faith in Christ at first, it's like this fresh, new experience. But then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in your life. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought I'm doing the good things and the right things. And and Jesus is in my life. And isn't that supposed to be different? And, And I feel different. But why am I facing all this? Because suddenly the spirit that's inside of you that raised Christ from the dead, that dwells in you now because Jesus Christ has come into your heart, is diametrically opposed to the flesh that it's clothed in. And until we take power and dominion over the flesh, which is everything that we do in our life that, that we're not supposed to do, and until he reigns in us and we grow in our faith, there's going to be this struggle. And even in those moments, there may be a struggle. So you have to understand, Paul says, we're all born into this thing. And, and when we talk about gratifying the, 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 fle- the cravings of the flesh, we have these seedy, dark ideas like, oh, yeah, yeah, those clubs down on the east side and, and, and on the third ward. And, and oh, yeah, you know, we're talking about prostitution and drugs that run rampant in the, in, in the center city of Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. No, I'm talking about suburban sin. Let's just talk about suburban sin. That's what we all live, right? Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. Good. It's this thing in us that goes, i got to be top, I've got to be number one, I've got to up my neighbor, I've got to build a bigger house, I've got to have a bigger car, I've got to have a bigger this and a bigger that. And I'm not against any nice stuff, don't misunderstand me at all, I love heated seats and navigational systems, but I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, there's something in us that we just want to one up. We just want to climb the mountain. We, want to be, we don't want to just climb the mountain. We want to be king of the stinking mountain. And, and we want to crush anybody within our path. And we're okay if you win as long as we win a little bit better. We're okay if you're okay as long as we're just a little bit better. And we don't say it quite like that. And some of you go, well, bless God, I'm not in materialism. Show me your honey collection. Mm, don't talk about me what you get from Cabela's and Bass Pro and Bass Boats. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm in somebody's kitchen right now. I'm telling you, that's not cheap. I'm from Arkansas, man. We get out out for deer hunting in the fall. So that's where I grew up. And and it doesn't matter what it is. We have our idols, our obsessions, our cravings of the flesh. And Paul's saying, look, whatever it is, it's sin and it's wrong and it's vile. Now he goes on to say, verse 4, I love this. He says, but God... Because of his great love and mercy for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, it's by grace that we've been saved. And God raises us up with Christ. This is awesome. And seats us with him in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. In order that in the coming ages, I love this phrase, he might show the incomparable riches. Which means his riches of grace compared to anybody else's riches of grace. There is no contest expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Why is he expressing his kindness? Because he goes on to say in the book of Romans when he defines law and sin, that he says it's by the kindness of God that we come kind of to repentance. It's not by his judgment. That's the reason why people pounding a pulpit this weekend and preachers screaming in a, in a microphone, telling people they're, they're dead in their sins and they need to get saved, everybody knows that. But that's not what leads them to faith in Christ. What leads them to faith in Christ isn't some watered-down religion, but it's the kindness of God. It's the thought that in my sins and in my transgressions and in all of my junk... That's when God loved me. When I was unlovable, that's when Christ loved me. When I was unsavable, that's when he died on the cross for me. Before I was ever born, he had a plan for my life, which is great. Because he wants to seat me, not on this earth, but in heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. I'm about to preach. All right. Verse number 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourself. It's a gift of God not of works. You can't earn this. You can't go to Walgreens and buy a pound of this so that no one of us can boast. Why? Because we would all boast. If we earned our way, we would look at each other and go, hey, I'm better than you. I'm saved and you're a sinner. Right? So that's why he says that. For verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, check this out, to do good works. Some of you are in here going, there's no way I can do good works. I'm telling you, I didn't write it. That's what it says, that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There are some of you in this room. Just listen to this thought. You walked in, this, in the doors today, and you're away from God. And when you get up from your seat in a few minutes, and this service is over, and you walk out, you will begin to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And you did not get up this morning planning to do that. But he knew. Because of his amazing grace, because of his awesome love, because of his supreme kindness, then these next few moments, he's going to invade you right where you are. So let's talk about this today. We all need what I call a blank canvas experience because we've all made mistakes. We all need this blank canvas experience because we've all made mistakes. Now, here's what happens. In life, we start out like this this beautiful white canvas and it's pristine, it's, it's taut. it's been stretched. Um, it's, it's, it's a good hardwood that it's stretched on. And, and we're this beautiful canvas in life. And, and we come into this world, the Bible says, with purity. But there is this predisposition to sin that we all face. And so what happens is, when we're led away, verses, verses 2 and verses 3, to our own fleshly cravings, when we don't squash those, when we don't find ourselves in Him, we're, we're led away from that. And when that begins to happen, what happens is, something begins to happen with this canvas. This canvas represents our life. It, it, it begins to happen. And we try in our own ability to do this. And here, here's what happens. We start walking and working and doing our stuff, and all of a sudden what, what happens is that we trade this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful blank, beautiful white canvas, and we go, hey, man, I can fix this. Hey, I can do this. And what happens in our life is that we go from this beautiful white canvas just to this nasty, ugly, Mess. Some people would call this art. I call this a mess. (laughs) And uh, that's what we do. We get into this mess. Because this is what we make out of the blank canvas. On our best days, the Bible says, our filthiness, our, our righteousness on our best days is as a filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. Cause somehow in our own, in our own self, somehow in our own devices, somehow we began to create this in our life, and we step back and we look at it and we go, "Oh my goodness, ugh. There's some hurt and some pain. There's some red blood up in there that's been spilled, and it's nasty and it's gross and it's ugh." Now, again, I'm gonna le- reveal a little bit about myself that I don't know if you know this, and I don't. I would not call myself a. an art connoisseur but all throughout junior high and high school I was in all types of uh, um, art contests nationally and and, and statewide and all types of venues and that kind of a deal and so I I used to we would go on these trips and go these museums in New York or DC and, and see different showings and 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 I know I grew up in Arkansas you didn't think there was any art in Arkansas did you yeah so I'm telling you, this is a mess. There's nothing about this It goes, oh, I just love the, the colors and the textures. just speaks to me of, of a deep, no, it's just a bunch of mess. And, and that's what happens in our life, and this is what we do. And some of you, your life looks like this. Some of you, uh, you've been motoring along, and you've been serving God, but you've fallen back. Now, I'm not getting into the whole eternal security, internal insecurity. I'm just saying we're not rock'em, sock'em robots, and we have a free moral choice. Some of you, this is what your marriage looks like. Some of you, this is what the relationship with, with, with people in your world looks like. Some of you, this represents your relationship with God. Some of you, this is some junk, some sin, that quite frankly, if it was put up on the big screen, you would be mortified today. Oh, you look pristine. You've got your tithe check made out. You're, you're going to be at a Prime 29 gathering this week. I can see that in you. But if we really saw the real you when nobody else was looking, this is what it looks like. This is why David said in Psalm 51, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God, and take not your spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and renew a right spirit within me." Why? Cuz he knew what it was like to have a white, clean, pure canvas. A blank canvas of a heart. But he knew what it was like to defile himself with immorality and with adultery. And his heart that was once white and pure become this vile mess. And Paul says we all start out there. Verses 1, 2, and 3. This is where we start. This is what happens when we allow Satan into our life. And I'm not talking about satanic church Satan. To hell with the devil Satan. I'm talking about like... Just allowing, not allowing God to have his way in our life. This is what happens when we go, when we're led away by our own lusts and by our own cravings, by our own desires. When we allow things that are okay in some respects, but they become out of balance. And, and, and it all becomes about competing. It all becomes about more money. It all becomes about greed. It all becomes about this. It all becomes about that. This is what happens when, listen to me, when we go from having a fresh, re, uh, fresh relationship with Christ to where we become crusty Christians and it's all about religion. Because those of you that have been sitting on a church pew for 20 years, this can happen to you. Because a relationship is day in and day out. You don't tell your spouse the day that you get married, honey, I love you. if that ever changes, I'll let you know. And you laugh. But it's true. But some of us, we do that with God. We ask Jesus Christ into our heart and into our life. We say, God, I love you. all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we leave that relationship there and we just go and do life. And this is what happens. And so Paul says, this is, how, this is the beginning of that experience. Now he goes on to say, in verses number, uh, number four, I love this part, verse number four through seven, but the difference maker is the but God moment. What, what makes all the difference in the world in your life is, is when God begins to show up. And when God shows up, you have what, what you call a, a but God moment. And, and a, a, a but God moment is this thing where... Um, A but God moment happens when you're about to go into divorce and you're about to lose everything, but God shows up and he restores your marriage. A but God moment is one of those moments where you're at the end of your rope and alcohol and pills and all of that stuff won't save you and can't fix you and can't help you. And you can't sleep and you have no peace and in the middle of that midnight hour you cry out and God shows up. And you'd be dead in your sins and your transgression, but God. That's a but God moment it's one of those things in our life where, where God begins to say, you know what, I'm going to show up. That's what I love about verse 4. I'm going to show up because I have these uncomparable riches and these uncomparable graces, and I'm going to show up in your life, and I'm going to do something in you, and I'm going to begin to write over all this filth, over all this junk, over all the messes that you've made in your life. I'm going to begin to write in your life. I'm going to begin to imprint. I'm, I'm going to put a mark in your heart that can't be erased. So God shows up. You ever have one of those moments where God showed up, but by the grace of God go I? One of those moments where everything else was falling apart, everything else was going crazy, but God? That's what Paul says will happen. You come to the end of yourself and you made a mess out of this blank canvas called life. And all of a sudden you cry out to a holy God and God shows up. Some of you, in a few moments, you're going to have that experience. Because on the inside of you right now, there's this churning, and there's this deal, and that's called the power of the Holy Spirit that's convicting you, not because you're a bad person, but because the sin that's inside of you, because a holy God cannot peacefully coexist with sin. The Bible says, what fellowship does lightness have with darkness? It cannot. And so there's something inside of you that goes, I, 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 oh. and and, And it's not because it's warm in this room. It's because it's God working in your heart right now. Because you need a but God experience. Because you've been talking to your spouse. You've been going, this isn't going to work. I don't love you anymore. And she says, I hate you. And you've you've said some pretty more vile words than that. And for life right now, your marriage is heading for divorce court. But I'm telling you, God will show up if you'll let him. And you can have a but God moment. Some of you, you've been resting so heavily on your finances. And so heavily upon your, your, your business ecumen. That, that, that everything's falling apart in your world. And God's saying, hey, you can do all you want to do. But there's going to come an end to yourself. And you feel like you're about to cave in. You feel like... Like the world is falling in and there's that but God God moment that he wants to give you today. Somebody in this room where you are today, you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. You feel like you're in a situation where you feel like you're in this desert that God doesn't even hear you. Listen to me. God shows up. And this is what I love, man. The Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. David said, King David said, if I make my bed in the very pit of hell, God is there. Because there's in our mind, there's, there's things that we think, well, God's so pristine and God's in his white flowing robe. and There's places he won't go and things he won't do. Listen, the Bible says the only time that God runs is when he runs to a son or daughter who's coming home, who's been gone. There's no bar that's too dark. There's no nightclub that's too smoky. There's no hotel room that's too seedy. There's no home in the suburbs that's too broken that God won't walk into and show up in a moment. And some of you, I'm right in the middle where you're living right now. And you're going, how in the world did he read my emails this week? It's this new encrypted uh, program that we have in the church. I'm just teasing. (laughs) It's because God is here. And he's knocking on your heart and he's going, that's what I want to do in you. That's why I wrote it in the word. That's why I gave Paul that experience. And that why, that's why Paul's telling the church at Ephesus that this is what happens. That even though you're dead in your transgressions, even though you're dead in your sins, even though on your best days you've jacked everything up, I'm still here. And he shows up. Goes on to say... It's in your notes. And he gives us this equation, this blank canvas equation. If you want a blank canvas in your life, here's what needs to happen. Verses 8 and verses 9. The first thing he says is that what we have to have in our life after, we, after God shows up, here's what begins to happen. We have a thing called grace that has to come in. That word grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Now I'm telling you right now, some of my favorite preachers are black preachers. Some of my, my favorite church services with a big black choir. Mm-hmm. When they sing, right on, King Jesus. And I love, I'm just telling you right now, got to have the stomp, right? Come on with it. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. You can think what you want, but that's what the that's what the music's going to be like in heaven. It won't be all these guitars and stuff. It'll be, right on, King Jesus. And um, one of my favorite preachers is Bishop Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready. I can't even do it, man. I can't even do it. But when he says it, and I'm in, I've been in several meetings where he's at, woo! i got to get my dance on, my jig. And what's funny is you think I'm joking. So, and he says this, favor ain't fair. And I believe it. The longer I live, I mean, I like that statement, but it's true. Favor is not fair. And the grace of God, that unmerited, undeserved favor, is not fair. But it will come in into your life. That amazing grace of God will flow in. And here's the thing about grace. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't manipulate it. You can't maneuver to get it. You can't figure out a way to catch it. It's in that midnight hour when the only way out is up. And you cry out to God. And the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls out on the name of the Lord will be rescued. Whoever calls out to me, whoever reaches their hand out to me, they will be saved. Why? Because of you? No. Because of your works? No. Because of your church attendance? No. Because of how much money you're going to give in prime this week or how much money you give in the offering? No, no, no. Because you know the pastor? Definitely not. But because it's my favor that I choose to pour out on your life. So the first thing that happens to get the blank canvas, to get the junk out, is that there's got to be a thing called grace. And you have no control over that. You have nothing to do with that. That's something that he does. Don't ever take credit for God's grace. Some of you in this room, you are not as smart as your business performs. Some of you in this room, your marriage is not as good as you are. Some of you, your parenting skills, you're not that good. Some of you, you're not that good looking. I'm just sorry to tell you. But by the grace of God. Some of you, we look at you and go, "How how did he marry that woman? He's not that good looking. Must be the grace of God. Grace of God. Favor ain't fair. Right on, King Jesus. It's grace, baby. That's all it is. Don't forget it. Because the day you start thinking it's you, the day you start thinking, check me out. Mmm, don't I smell good? Don't I look good? I'm so pretty. (laughs) That's the day, boom, the rug will be pulled and you will see really how you look. Trust me, some of you don't need to see that. It's grace. It's grace. Uh, Let me say this. If you've been serving God for any amount of time, you might have have had the experience, the unfortunate experience, of being around someone who they served God for a long period of time, but something happened in their life. maybe, And they had a, a major downfall, a major failure, a major sin mistake. And all of a sudden, this sweet, kind person, this person that walked with the anointing and the grace of God in their life, all of a sudden becomes this sarcastic uh, uh, skeptical, um, very mean, rough, coarse individual that they never were. I, I hope many of you, I hope most of you in this room don't experience that. But some of you might have seen that in somebody's life. And you go, what happened? What? Th- that's not the person I knew. That That person used to... Preach under anointing. That person used to lead under under, under a grace and a gifting. Their, their family was all together. And it happens with preachers and it happens with people in church. Because I've seen it with preachers and, and they used to have this thing, but all of a sudden they don't. And, and this great, and what and what it is, is the grace of God is gone, the anointing of God is gone. And you see them. You've only known them, verses four, verses 8 and verses 9, after the but God moment of their life. You never saw them in verses 1 and verse 2 and verse 3 when they were filling out their sinful desires and cravings. And all of a sudden, you've seen them in reverse. And you go, wow. You know what that is? It's what their life would have looked like. It's what their life looks like without the grace of God in their life. I'll never forget... A family that I grew up in church, uh, they always sat about five or six rows back on the right-hand side of the sanctuary. He was one of the finest dressers. I just remember he, everything was always coordinated. The family always, they were pristine. Their cars were always clean. He was a business guy. Th- that she was a beautiful woman. He was a sharp, good-looking guy. They had a, a son and a daughter. They just had this pristine. He was a board member, and everybody looked up to them. And somewhere in their early 40s, actually before then, it began the marriage began to fall apart. And all of a sudden, in his in the early 40s, the, the word was around that they were separating and, and 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 their their teenage daughter and I grew up together and known known her for years, still know her, still keeping contact with her. And 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 we were just all in the youth group together. And I remember going, no, no, and people going, No, that can't be true. Because but we've seen them and they're just so good and they're just so awesome. And it was true. Not only was it true, but it was a deal where um, he was was having an affair with his secretary. And his secretary was the daughter-in-law of their best friends. It was a sordid, messed up deal. And I began to watch this guy who I respected, who would come and pray, who would serve communion, who was dressed to the nines and had everything. And I remember watching that guy and just seeing what his life looked like because what happened was the grace was gone and he was walking away from the things of God, and he was walking away from his family, he was walking away from his wife, he was walking away from everything. About seven, eight years ago, I was in Austin, Texas at a youth convention. And I was there, was invited to, to be a guest, and, and I was there doing some stuff, and, and, and I found out, my brother called me and said, you'll never guess who lives in Austin. And so he told me, it was the girl that we'd grown up with, her brother was in San Francisco, he was a, he was a chef, and she was in Austin doing hair for Sandra Bullock, she had been doing some movie stuff for her, and that kind of a deal, so I called her and I said, hey, I'd love to get together, I'd love to see you, I haven't seen you in years, blah, 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 and just so happened, she said, my dad's coming in town. I said, I haven't seen your dad in years. I would love to see your dad. Because when I graduated, when I graduated high school, I, I didn't go back home. I, it was college and then I was on to, to ministry. And, and uh, so without just some breaks, I never went back. And I remember sitting there on Lake Austin, this really cool outdoor coffee shop. And that man, who I thought was pristine, looked at me and his daughter, who are now grown individuals, and he put his hands, his head in his hands, and he just began to shake and cry uncontrollably. And he said, I am so, so, so sorry. Because I was an example before you kids. And he just spilled it all. I'll never forget it. And we prayed right there, and there were people looking around. This is kind of a hip, trendy, kind of one of those weird Austin places. And, and, and we were all there, and... and 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 I I remember going, that's what it looks like when the grace of God's lifted off your life. See, the grace of God is not fair. And the grace of God is something that you can't earn. And the grace of God is something that none of us deserve. But without it, we are vile, self-serving people of verses 1 and verse 2 and verse 3. But the grace of God comes in. And after that but God moment, the grace comes in. And God has the ability to change us. And the second thing that, it, that he says in that passage of scripture in verse 8 and verse 9 is this. Is that there's a thing called faith. Now this is something that you and I have to do for ourselves. God brings the grace. But we have to bring the faith. What's faith? Faith is believing that God is. Faith is believing that God will. Faith is believing that God is the answer. Faith is 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 the Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's the fact that I go, God, I am in need of a Savior and I believe that you're the Savior. God, my, 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 my marriage needs to be saving and you're the only one that can fix it. God, my finances are so screwed up and you're the only one that can do it. God, I am a wreck. I have been dealing, fighting with this sin and I'm tired of carrying this sin. Some Some of you have brought sin into your life, into this room today like you would carry luggage onto an airplane and you're just dragging it and pulling it and you have to come to the end of yourself and you have to drop and you have to confess and you have to go, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm someone who needs to be a recipient of this this grace of God because the good news about the grace of God is that God will give it to any one of us. If we will but ask and put our faith in Him. And the Bible says that when we do that, that that's how we get a blank canvas. And when we will actually do that, then what God begins to do in our life is found in verse 10. Because He says in the very beginning, what He wants to do is take all the sin and take all the junk and all the vileness from our life. And He wants to create in us this new blank canvas. So after he comes in in a way that only he can, and gives us this but God experience, and after he begins to pour in his grace, his unmerited favor in our life, verse 10 says that we become his workmanship. And he begins to work his creation and his vision for our life in us. And in order for him to do that, he's got to come back into our life, and he's got to erase And blot out the sin and the mistakes and the past. And here's the thing. The only one that can do that is him. The church can't do that. Sorry to tell you, a priest can't do that. I can't do that. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. Church membership doesn't help you with it. It's just the grace of God. And the Bible says in verse 10 that we become his workmanship. Now here's what's interesting about that word workmanship. That word workmanship in the original language, I've always thought that meant like something that God created, kind of like a widget or some type of engineering design, right? We're his workmanship. We're his, you know, we're some piece of equipment for him. We're, We're his, no. The word workmanship in the original language means work of art. So what happens, God says, I have created you, this is the last blank in your notes, to be a work of art. He didn't create you to be a workhorse. He didn't create you to be a rock'em, sock'em robot. He didn't create you to be just this person that's out there doing his own thing. No, 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 no. He says, I gave you a blank canvas at the beginning. And in your sin, and in all of your mistakes, and in all of your evil cravings, whether they're seedy or whether they're, and, and, and there's something that's vile or whatever, it's still sin is sin, and wrong is wrong, but if you'll cry out to me, And if you will ask me, I will show up in the midnight hour, and I will restore your marriage. I'll restore your home. I'll restore your finances. I'll restore. Remember 2 Chronicles chapter 14? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then they will hear from heaven, and then I will heal their land. And God says, I'm coming into your life. And when I do, I'm going to give you grace that you didn't deserve. And all I'm asking you to do is trust me. Put your faith in me. Put your hope in me. Because as Bob Dylan said, you're going to trust somebody. But are you going to trust Jesus? And he says, if you'll do that, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a blank canvas. I'm going to give you a redo. I'm going to give you a mulligan in life. And when I do that in your life, I'm going to do it not just so you're blank. I'm going to do it because now you're ready for me to create my masterpiece. Now you're ready for me to make you into the work of art that I've created. Remember, that's what he says. Because I've created you to do great things. I've created you to do good things that i prepared in advance for you. Woo, I'm telling you. If I had a Hammond Bee organ and a black choir, we'd have some church up in here. Because we just think God wants something from us. And he doesn't want anything from you. He wants to give to you like a father would to a child. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm going to create in you a new heart. And I'm going to renew a right spirit in you. And I'm going to take your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. And as dark and as vile and as nasty as your life was before, I am going to come in at the midnight hour. And I'm going to pour in my grace. And you're going to give me your faith. And together we're going to have this blank canvas experience. And then I'm going to write into your heart and into your life and turn you into this work of art. I'm going to invite the band to come back onto the platform. And as they do, I I want to ask you for these next few moments just to kind of quiet your heart. Maybe you're ready right now. If I were to say go, you would run to this front and find a place before God because there's just junk in your life. Maybe you're so far away from God. I don't know where you are, but here's what I do know. I know that God can do a miracle in your life. God can do a miracle in your home. God can do a miracle in you. And that's what he wants to do today. But sometimes we need to to know, hey, we're not alone. Because I'm telling you, this church is filled full of people. And I'm a pastor who's just a simple recipient of the grace of God. And but by the grace of God would go I. And so what I want to do is I want to allow for these next few moments... God to speak to your heart. And there's just going to be some people that they're going to share their but God moments with you. And then when they're done, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to give you an opportunity to move from where you are and to receive this grace and this blank canvas experience so that God can create this work of art in you that he wants to. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, I just thank you today for what you're doing in this room. And I just ask for the next few moments that you would just show up in this place and that you would begin in us what you have desired to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen.